you know there's nothing nothing like going to church amen, amen. I uh, I love to go to church I evangelized for about I guess four years and I never really I never got tired of going to church although that meant going to church more in a week than than uh, normal I guess you'd say because um, church is where we get so much strength it's where we get encouraged and uh, Bible says and forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as manner of some is and so much the more as you see that day approaching and uh, the closer it gets to the end time the more church I do need and uh, I thank God for the church it's, it's an anchor in the middle of rough times Thank God for friends and and uh, elders in the ministry that have helped and blessed me. But uh, I will say my sentiments are mirrored or a mirror of Brother Riggins. Uh, he and I have become very close friends for a long time. And uh, I'm not a person that opens up very easily. I keep a lot of stuff inside, and uh, I have just really, I guess I just have two men that are my friends that I feel comfortable opening up just about anything, and uh, Brother Riggin has been that kind of a friend longer than anybody except my brother, and I appreciate um, appreciate what he has meant in our family's life and uh, I know that you've been praying for your pastor and uh, we've been praying for your pastor and uh, I don't think it's any secret that he's had some complications in recovering from this surgery and uh, he's been on my mind a lot my heart because um, one of the things I've noticed is you, um, when you're blessed with a good man of God like you are, I have no doubt that you appreciate him for what he means to you. But you don't have the perspective to see what he means to the church at large. And uh, his fellow ministers do. And uh, I thank you for your appreciation for your pastor right here. But I want you to know that there are men all across this fellowship that appreciate the stand your pastor takes for the truth and uh, the great preaching that he does and the teaching and the, the love and passion he has for truth. It's affected all of us many times. And uh, you're, you're a blessed people to be able now I'm not telling you you're blessed to have a good pastor you know that better than I would and he's not my pastor so I'm not as qualified as you are to say that you're blessed to have a good pastor but I just want you to know that you are blessed to be in the place to be a blessing to a man that means a lot to me 
you are, and not just me, I represent a whole lot of people, that you, you are yoked together in the kingdom of God, in the labor of God, with a man that means a whole lot to the kingdom of God in a lot of places. And there's a lot of, a lot of people praying for this church, a lot of people praying for your pastor. And uh, we are, we're living in a time where it seems like the lighthouses of truth are becoming fewer and fewer. Now, I'm not going to be negative. I believe it just like Brother Riggins said. Great days. The greatest days of the church are always ahead. Because God didn't build his church like this earth is. This earth, according to the second law of thermodynamics, means it, everything's winding down. It started up here, and it's going down here. But he didn't build his church that way. He put his church on a foundation, and it's going to rise until the ultimate rising is the catching away of the saints. And so the church is not going down. Churches may be going down, but the church is not going down. And I, I could look around and I could see that there are many places that used to be a lighthouse of truth and they're not anymore. And I could get discouraged. But I know the principle of the remnant in the Bible. I know how he has always used the remnant to bring revival. Didn't matter how the majority of Israel went. It was how the remnant went that really mattered. Didn't matter what the masses of Israel did. What mattered was a few prophets and a few thousand people that refused to bow their knee to an idol. That's what God always put his, his faith in. Amen. He could stand and he could talk about the great days ahead for Israel because he had a remnant. And I'm glad I put my faith in God, but I want you to know God puts his faith in a remnant. And when God puts his faith in it, it doesn't have to be built on anything but his faith. When he says it, it's going to happen. And he declared that he will always have a remnant. He will always have a church. Amen. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. And I believe that the day we live in, we're going to see, we're going to see great revival. But it's going, to take, it's going to take being totally sold out to the Lord. It's very easy to look around and see that the church in North America, the apostolic, the truth-believing church of the living God, how it was born here in a flame of revival. And the devil's been fighting it ever since. And along the way, he has done just what he did to the early church. He has silenced the ministry in a lot of places. And he has, he has effectively slowed revival in a lot of places. But you know, you can't get to looking at that. You've got to remember that God knew all of this was going to happen. And God has never, he's never seen a time that he is not more than a match for. And his church is more than a match for. 
And we're going to see revival. There is no doubt we're going to see revival. Some things we must go through. Some things we must suffer. And uh, just like I read to you this morning, the Lord told Ananias, said, you, you go talk to Saul. I need to show him what he's going to suffer for me. He didn't say, I, I want to I show him all the victories he's going to win for me. I want to show him. No, he, he put it right up front. Let's go ahead and count the cost, Saul. This is going to cost you. It's going to take effort. You're going to suffer in the process. But if you're willing to take that on for me, there is no telling what I'm going to do with you. And I want to tell you, I, I didn't just come to tell you of great victories ahead. I came to tell you if you're willing to count the cost and stay sold out to Him, there is no telling what God's going to do with you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Now, all this is pre-preaching. Um, but I just wanted to say a few things to you. I, um, I, 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 I feel it a whole lot easier than I can say it. When I first started preaching, I'm going to tell you, I could flat preach some sermons. I'd walk up and down in that prayer room. And in my mind, the words were just flowing. I'm telling you, I was preaching. And I'd go over there, and they'd put me up, and I'd stutter and stammer around for about five or ten minutes and go sit down. And I was like, now where was all that stuff that was inside a while ago? It just won't come out. And, um, well, it comes out a little bit more now. Sometimes there's too much of it comes out. <laughs> but, um, but still, there are things that I feel that it's hard to say. And um, whether it gets across or whether I do the job, I want to tell you that I, I really, when I, uh, when I s sort of invited myself, I really had, had this church on my mind and Brother Reagan on my mind and God had, I'd been praying for uh, weeks, for a long time, and, and I, I just really felt so strongly that the Lord wanted you to know, and He wanted Brother Reagan to know, that this church is right square in the eyesight of God. He, he's not forgotten where you are. It doesn't matter how much you have had to fight and, 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 and you know uh, one of the things that um, I, I, don't, I don't know anything that might be or has been or might will be going on around here Brother Regan and I um, have had times where we've had to lean on each other been situations but um, you know those were a long way in the past and uh, I, I haven't heard anything, but I, I'll tell you this. Apostolic churches around the country are in such a battle right now. I have talked to men that are in the battle. And it, it's gotten to the point where I just know. Nobody has to say anything. I just know that the enemy's doing his best to discourage, 
and to defeat any truth-loving church. And I'll tell you, the ministry is fighting things like they've never fought before. The, the pressures and uh, coming through so many things, everything from physical sicknesses, mental pressure, uh, family situations, just my heart grieves when I hear of things around the country. And it, it, it's just getting unprecedented. I don't even hear the things that Brother Johnson hears, but uh, he and I were talking just a few days ago, and it, it grieves his heart that so many, so many attacks are coming directly against the ministry, anybody that dares to preach the truth. And uh, every church needs to be aware of that. Every church needs to know what kind of battle we're really in. Because um, unless, unless we really know it and come to grips with it and get in the fight with it, it's not going to do us any good to call ourselves God's church. Amen. God's church has got to be busy. God's church has got to go out to the battle. God's church has got to gear up and get in the fight. And we are in a fight. It, it's, it's down to the end and souls are hanging in the balance. And God, I want to do my part. I want to work together with your church, God. That we could see great revival. Amen. And I, I, I really, um, I, I do feel something tonight that I feel to preach and if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings and we're going to read 2 Kings chapter 4 you turn there Brother Regan and I have been Sharing old age symptoms in the last few days. And, uh, I, you know, all of my peers have grandchildren. And I've got a five and a half month old baby. So I just tell them I'm just having my own grandbabies. <laughs> and, uh, I, um, I went to the eye doctor, and all they could tell me was that they could give me the fancy word for what I have, that I have to put on glasses to read now. And uh, I have refused to accept my doctor's diagnosis of why I'm limping around. Now, I'm getting around pretty good tonight. But if you'd have seen me last week, I wasn't getting around good. The week before that, I was getting around pretty good, but the week before that, I was limping around. And my doctor declares that I have gout. But I told him, no, I didn't tell him. I've told everybody else. That's an old man's problem. I don't have gout. And then, they, then people made me feel better, said, no, it's not an old man's thing. You, we, we know teenagers that have had it and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, okay, then uh, if it's not an old man's deal, I'll accept it. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, you know what all this stuff is? It's just a sign that we're not going to live forever. All right, that's the truth, brother. You know, it preaches to us if we'll listen. We need to make ourselves ready. 
2 Kings chapter 4. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. The creditor is come to take unto him my two sons. And I know uh, I've already been up here a few minutes. If you won't charge me for those minutes, I'll do my best to be almost as short as Brother Epley. And I don't mean this way. He does, we tease him all the time. He does not mind that. But uh, I, I have something on my heart. And uh, I have tried to kind of get out from under the burden, I guess you'd say, and preach something different. But uh, it just keeps coming back, so I'm going to do my best to obey the Lord. And I'm just going to preach from part of this phrase, and it is, the creditor is come. The creditor is come. And I want us to pray. Brother Regan, would you lead us in prayer and ask for God's anointing in this place? God. Amen. Everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. Did you come praying tonight? Amen. Now, my title includes a word that America is getting more familiar with in recent months. The creditor has come. We didn't used to, as a society, we didn't used to live on the credit. Not even the government did. As a matter of fact, you go back far enough and um, you find the generation preceding, um, or generations preceding the Great Depression, and you would find that they, they looked down on credit. As a matter of fact, I, I read, this is just an anecdotal story, it's, it's not a it wasn't a survey how everybody felt, but it just gave indication. But there, was, there, were, there were some diaries that were pulled together, and uh, there was a particular community that was hard hit during the Civil War. And following the Civil War, most of them in that community packed up and moved west. 
for a better opportunity. There was one man in that community that wanted to go but was having a hard time getting his affairs in order. The reason why was he had a mortgage on his farm. Nobody else had one. And they talked about him like he had committed the great sin. When it finally came down to it, he only had a $5 mortgage against his place. But times were so desperate, he couldn't even come up with the $5. And he could not leave when the wagon train left. That's, that's, that was then. We move forward and we get to the Great Depression. And in the Great Depression, it kind of remolded us into that. And, and those that were forged in the Great Depression, they... My dad, he, he, he was born in 26. He lost his dad in 37. He had been gassed in World War I, and, and he passed away from pneumonia in 37. That was still in the middle of the Depression. My dad was 11 years old. His dad was a sharecropper. So there was no help. There was no public help. His mother had been from Mississippi, so she packed the three kids up and moved them back to Mississippi. My dad was the oldest. And uh, my dad hated that move because they, they moved back and moved with relatives. And if you know anything about Mississippi, Mississippi never knows when there's a depression or a recession or anything else. It's just all the same to them. <laughs> they grow a few peas and, and raise chickens. and That's about it. And uh, it was tough times. My daddy said they nearly starved to death. They would go weeks without any meat, just, just, uh, just, just some bread and gravy if they were fortunate. And um, it, it, was, it was hard times. And I, I grew up watching my dad. He never would charge anything. He never had a credit card until after, after he was retirement age. And the only reason he did then is he was flying around a little bit and he couldn't rent a car. And so he had to get one. Never had a car note that I know of. It just, they, they, they wouldn't put anything on credit. And, uh, but the generation that came after him, they started wanting to buy a house, things like that, and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't save up enough quickly enough. And, and so um, they, started, they started taking on house mortgages. Then after that, it was car notes. And then since I have been around, I can remember when I was a kid, there were not a lot of people that had credit cards. I remember a friend of my dad's when I was just a kid, my daddy telling me about it. This man got a credit card, and he was telling my daddy, he said, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And my dad said, you better go easy on that. You're going to have to pay for that. He said, oh, no, you just, you just hand them your card, and they give you the stuff. Now, this was a smart man, supposedly. He was in for a rude awakening when the credit card bill came in. He literally didn't know they were going to send him a bill. He was that naive. You say, now, that's, that's, that, how, how could a man be that naive? You just have to understand it was a different world then. And um, somebody sold him a bill of goods. I don't even know the statistics, but we live on credit now. We live on credit, everything. We don't wait for anything. They don't even have layaway departments anymore. Used to be all kind of stores had layaway. 
you, you went back to the back and you said, look, I want to buy this, but I don't have the money to buy it now, but I'll give you $5 toward it, and you put it back here in the storage room. I'll bring you five next week, and I'll bring you five the next week. When you got it all paid off, you took it home. Well, that, that was just the first step. The next step was, you know what, why don't you just, if you can take one of our credit cards, we'll just charge it. You can take it home with you, and you can pay us later. And so we started charging things. But we weren't charging them fast enough. So then they came out and said, look, if you'll buy it, you won't even have to pay anything for 90 days. And then in 90 days, it's the same as cash. Well, no, it's not really the same as cash. And, uh, and so then they, they, they got it now where they, 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 you'll hear them, buy a car. You won't have to owe a payment till 2010. 2011, they're getting desperate now. But, but they, they pulled us in. They pulled us in. And, and we, we charged things. The, the, the Great Depression came along because of something called speculation in the stock market. They, they, they started, they started, they started uh, really what happened as long as the economy was on a foundation, everything was all right. But people just kind of started reaching, reaching further out until the whole thing the whole stock market nearly was just kind of hanging over nothing but emptiness. The foundation was way back over here, and everything was tilted out over it. And when it shook and it started to fall, there was nothing to catch it. And I'll tell you, that's what's happening right now. I'm no economist, but I'll tell you, this, this, this deal is not going to stop sliding until we find some solid ground. We've been stretched out for a long time. And, and, and prices have just escalated on nothing but demand. It's not based on reality. When I, when I moved out to uh, Colorado, I thought I'd taken the wrong turn and landed in California. Property values were so high. Prices were so high. And they were driven up artificially because they were extending credit to people who didn't have the means of paying for it. But it put people in a bidding war for those properties. And up, 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 up they went. And they, 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 I remember the rumor was the first year I was there, that uh, they were moving uh, so many soldiers into that base that, that if you didn't get a house this year, you had no hope of renting or buying. There, it wouldn't be anything available. I'm going to tell you, there's empty houses everywhere right now. But we got, we got extended out because we were living on credit. And as long as the credit keeps flowing, everything's all right. We'll just, we'll just borrow from MasterCard to pay Visa. We'll borrow from Visa to pay Uncle Sam. And just on and on we go. We just, all you got to do is keep turning. And, uh, and, and there's always more offers in the mail. I mean, you know, you fill up one and here comes another one. And you can transfer it over. Man, there's, they'll send you those that say 0% interest. Transfer your balances, 0% interest on it. Well, I, I, you know, I was building a house when I was moving from Tennessee, and I, I had a small construction loan because I was doing all the work myself. Well, when I moved, I was not finished. And so I had to hire work done that I wasn't planning on having to hire to do. 
And so my loan wasn't big enough. But instead of going back down there and extending that construction loan, I just said, you know what, I'll finish this up on my credit cards. Because I, you know, I had a couple of credit cards and I didn't have anything on them and they had a big enough limit. And so I just did that. But, you know, I put the house on the market and the market fell apart. And it sat on that market for over a year. And I didn't have the ability to pay my cards off till I sold the house. I just kind of made a payment on it. Well, guess what happens when they can tell you've stretched out over your foundation? They don't send any more of those 0% offers. They just start creeping that interest on up. By the time that year was up, I was paying 29% interest on one of those cards. And I can tell you this, when I sold that house and paid it off, I said, they, they've gotten my last business. I learned some lessons. But they're all the same. Don't, don't think because you've had some good fortune so far that they won't get you too. That's just the nature of it. Credit is a monster waiting to destroy somebody. It's, that's all it is. We call it a tool. We call it all kinds of things. But I'm going to tell you, in this instance, you see how terrible it can be. Because there is a day when the foundation is no longer there and the creditor comes. I read in the paper, they did, a, they did an extensive article on, um, on, on a part of the sheriff's department that was in charge of doing evictions when there were foreclosures. And they were, they were telling all kinds of things and, and how that the foreclosures was, was, it was just rising so rapidly and all that kind of stuff. And, and of course, I was grieved about it. But, but this story takes the creditor to a different level. And I, I, I'm not here to give you a financial seminar and tell you to quit using credit. That's, that's not the purpose. But I just, I just was relating it to something that we're all quite aware of right now. This situation, I want you to notice all of the details. There cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. Now this woman, she was married to a son of the prophets. In that time, these sons of the prophets, it was almost like a school in a sense. I don't know how formally organized it was. But it was a group of young men who had a hunger for the things of God. In Elijah's time, he thought he was by himself, but there were 7,000 that had not bowed a knee to Baal. There were prophets that were hidden in the caves. There were men that were in love with God. When God put his hand on Elijah, and he put his hand on Elisha, and he made it evident that the great anointing was there and that God was with them and God was working through them. There were certain young men that had a desire to do something for God. They, they wanted to live for God and they wanted to be useful in the hands of God. And it, it is admirable because in this time that was not what was popular. 
most of the people served Baal. It was an easier thing to be an idolater than it was to serve the living God. But these young men were willing to come out from among them, separate themselves from their neighbors, and say, we're going to serve God. We're going to be a tool in the hands of God. God began to put a burden on them. He called them, and they, they would leave where they were, and they would go to live near the prophet. They would, uh, if you want to look at the, the incident where the axe head went into the water, and Elisha, uh, the miracle was performed where the axe head swam. The, these, these young men, uh, they, would, they would build uh, barrack buildings or whatever you'd want to call it. They'd build little dormitories, and they would, they would, just, they would live right there near the prophet. They wanted to watch his every move. They wanted to hear him pray. They wanted to be right there by his side where he could open the word to them and tell them what thus saith the Lord. And uh, it was not just single young men that did it, but there were men that their wives were willing to pull up roots and leave their homes behind and go and build a little house right next to the man of God. They forsook this world. They forsook their careers. They first and wives had to be willing. I'm telling you that if you were a wife of the sons of the prophets, uh, you 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 weren't going to have great crops and you weren't going to have vineyards and all kinds of things. You you realize that your husband had devoted himself uh, to the word of God, had devoted himself uh, unto service for the Lord. It was a life of sacrifice. Uh, it was a life that said nothing else matters. Only what we're doing for God will last. Our only treasure is what we have in heaven. We, we, we're willing to lay down everything to serve God. I don't even know how they were supported other than maybe just some little vegetable gardens or whatever. They, 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 their, their whole uh, itinerary consisted in staying close to the prophet. Listening for the voice of God. Praying and finding out how to be used of God. That they might too walk up and down among the people. And preach what thus saith the Lord unto Israel. They were sold out to the idea of reviving God's people. And turning them away from idolatry. Amen. And it was not an easy road. It meant that you walked away from comfort. You, you had to live in a tiny little community that uh, nobody else had any means of helping anybody. We're just going to live humbly. It wasn't like you went and sat at the feet of somebody wealthy that's going to feed you. I mean, the prophet lived very simply. The prophet lived uh, very, very poorly, if you want to call it that. And uh, so here they were. They were all gathered there. And they, um, and they served God. And this, this particular woman, she came and she said, she said, my husband, your servant, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. So here's more detail. This wasn't a rebellious young man. This was somebody that he had the right motives. He feared God. He was there for the right reason. His wife had forsaken all and was there with him as well. 
And somewhere along the way, something happened to him. We don't know what it was. But he passed away. And then the next words that she says are haunting words. Because she says, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. They're being sold into slavery to pay my debts. Now, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know where it turned. But somewhere along the way, a God-fearing man began to look around at his growing family. A God-fearing man began to look around and say, you know, maybe, maybe this tough life of sacrifice doesn't have to be. I don't even know what all he went after. I don't know what they brought in. But I'll tell you here so you don't tune me out. Evidently, it was not sin that he brought into his life. Evidently, it was not something that he knew to back away from. It wasn't idolatry he brought in. It was not moral sin that he brought in. But somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was the wife that began to complain and say, you know, I know it's good to live here near the prophet, and I, I know it's good to raise our children around the prophet, but... Couldn't we at least have a few comforts of life? I don't know if it was the man himself that got to looking around or whether it was the children that started to complain a little bit. But somewhere along the way, the man looked out and said, You know, I really don't have the means to get it right now, but I want it anyway. And so he reached out and he borrowed money somehow. He borrowed, he put some things on the credit so that his family could enjoy them. He began to ease himself into that. And he would always say, you know, uh, I'll just take care of this. I'm not going to let this bill get so big that I can't take care of it. I mean, if it ever gets in too big a tight, I, I know I, I can go hire myself out somewhere. I can, go work, I can go work a crop. I can go work in a vineyard. I, I, I can take a leave of absence from the school of prophets. And I, I can go pay this bill off. I'm not going to let it get so big. I'm not going to. Uh, I, can, I can handle it. I can handle it. And so he let it build up. And he let it build up. But one day he was no longer there to pay the bill. Sickness overtook him or an accident overtook him and God didn't see fit to spare his life and he was gone. And the widow, she was a good woman evidently and she, uh, she, she didn't move from there. She kept her children right there. I believe they had a love for God. But there came a knock at her door one day. And the creditor was standing there waving the bill. And he said, okay, it's time to pay up. She said, you don't understand. My husband is dead. He always said he would hire himself out. He always said he could go and do something. But he could pay this bill. But he's not here now. you got to have some mercy on me. He said, oh, no. The bill's got to be paid. And if he's not here to pay it, I'll just take your children instead. I'll, I'll take them into a life of servitude your children will go into slavery to satisfy this debt but somebody's got to pay the bill 
And so the creditor knocking at the door. And I, and I don't know if she begged him for a day. I don't know if he came and said, this is your first warning. I'll be back in a week. Uh, but I'm telling you, the ultimatum is uh, I am knocking at the door. And I'll take your children to pay the bill. Uh, the creditor had come. Uh, and there was nobody to pay the bill. Uh, the creditor had walked in. Uh, and all the collateral she thought she had. Uh, the strong back of her husband was gone. Uh, and she was offering. Uh, she was being forced to give up her children. Uh, to pay the bill. Uh, I'm telling you that that is in the book for a reason. Uh, it's not there just so you'll know the end of the story you got to know the front end of it and you got to know that the same thing works today I'm telling you that I am preaching this tonight not just to you as a local church but to the apostolic church in general I may be talking to some of you as individuals too but I'm telling you that we have come a long way from our humble beginnings and we've stretched ourselves out on credit but a day coming that a knock's going to be at the door and the creditor is on his way as I can tell you that we were born in the fire I can tell you where our roots are you can go down with me through uh, what some call the Bible Belt. But I can take you uh, to the humble beginnings. I can take you uh, right beside really nice buildings. Uh, there's a little old church building uh, that used to be a brush arbor. Uh, it used to be where a tent was. Uh, and somebody came. Uh, they, they, they traveled when they didn't have food to eat. Uh, they traveled when they didn't have money to do anything but hitchhike. Uh, and they made their way in to preach the gospel. Gospel. I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough now to, to look back on my life. I can remember. I can remember one man that he, he didn't even have a car. But old Brother Holland, they would drive him around. And, and he, he'd come up and knock on the door of the parsonage. And you'd open the door and there would be old Brother Matt Holland. And he'd say, I'm here for revival. Just invited. He said, God told me to come. And I'm telling you, we weren't so highfalutin that we'd shut the door and say no you don't fit in with a calendar we'd have to say if God sent you then it's time to have revival and we'd have revival I can remember as a kid we'd have to go several weeks before they'd even give us a Monday night off as a rest night because it was sold out to revival we were sold out to what God wanted to do in this world and it wasn't anything fancy. I'm telling you, I, I grew up on pews that you had to be careful how you moved. Otherwise, you are stuck for a while. I can remember growing up in church. And there'd be one pew that had a smooth, all the boards were laid tightly enough together that it was all smooth. I, you'd get to the next one, there'd be three inch gaps in between each, each one. None of it matched. We were just glad to have a roof over our heads. But oh, did we have church. Oh, did we have revival. Didn't even have carpet on the floors. But we had revival. 
We, we, we'd have church. I'm telling you, it wasn't anything for a man to come in and preach two hours and we pray till midnight. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm telling you, it went on and we had church. We had revival. Oh, we had revival. And I knew of men that could walk in. I was telling Brother Regan a little bit about it. Some of the men, my mother said when I was just a little kid, I would lay on the floor next to the door of what we called the evangelist room. Didn't have hotels to put them in. They didn't have travel trailers to pull around. But they'd stay in a little room in the house. And looking back on it, I went and saw the, the old home place that I grew up there. I, I don't even see how we had enough room to have an evangelist room. Little bitty block building. Uh, but I'd lay on the floor because mother said it fascinated me to hear men talk to God as though he were right there in the room. Carrying on a conversation with him like he was only a foot away from them. But I'm telling you what revival they had. I'm telling you what revival there was. We were born in the fire. Churches built across this land because of Holy Ghost revival. People praying and fasting. I'm telling you, we, we lived outside of town, our little church outside of town. And that town was a mill town. And everybody either worked in the mill or for somebody that did something for the mill. So you, you, you sold your soul to the company store. That kind of town. And those men would work shift work. And it was hard work. But I'm telling you, they'd come in from working a long, hard day and they'd go to church. And we'd be in church till late and nobody left early. And they'd get up and go to work again and do it night after night, seven nights a week. Uh, no complaining, just hungry for a move of God. Uh, and right out there in the middle of nowhere, uh, churches grew and grew and grew from nothing into 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 powerful churches my daddy pitched tents in towns that had no churches and when he and the, the, the partner that he had that they went preaching these revivals when they leave that town they'd be calling getting a pastor there'd be a group of people there that were born in the fire of revival that's what our heritage is right here in our day and time they paid the price they didn't put any revivals on credit. They paid the price ahead of time. My daddy preached across this country that when he'd close out revival, he might have to go get an odd job for a couple of days just to get enough gas money to get to the next town. My mother taking in sewing, uh, sewing dresses for people in that town while they were in revival just to have enough gas money to get to the next town. When I started to evangelize, my daddy didn't even want me to. Uh, uh, he was telling me how hard it was out there. He, he, never, he never got to experience the time when churches take good care of the evangelist. Uh, never got to see that. Uh, he was afraid. Uh, but oh, uh, I, I'm glad he didn't hold me back uh, even though he... he, he he still wasn't convinced it was a good thing. He, he knew down in his heart uh, that it was worth it. That if you're going to have revival, you got to go through it whether it's tough times or not. Uh, somebody's got to be willing to pay the price. But somewhere along the way, we got to wanting things that we couldn't pay for. Somewhere along the way, 
we got to wanting a church that we weren't willing to pay for. We wanted a crowd, but we weren't willing to pay the price. And so we reached out on credit. We began to devise programs, entertainments, things that would draw a crowd. We got willing to bring men to our pulpit that were showmen in order to draw the crowd. We started putting revival on credit. And just like two things go hand in hand. You know, you know why we can't seem to get out of the credit problem? Because our government won't get out of the credit problem. 9-11 came along. You know the message they said? If you're patriotic, we got to prove that they can't affect us. Go out and buy a new car. Go spend money. Get on the airlines and fly even if you don't have anywhere to go. Show them they can't wreck our American way of life. That ain't the American way of life. But we did it. We just grabbed the credit card. We're going to fight terrorists with our credit card. Go, go buy a new car. Go put something. That's what the government's message was. And they hadn't learned their lesson yet. They think more and more credit's the answer. More and more credit's the answer. More and more credit's the answer. And it's caused us as individuals because we are affected by that same thing. Uh, that's our leadership. Uh, and so we're putting everything on the credit. Uh, well, let me tell you, when churches, uh, when leadership started reaching out a little bit and saying, Hey, I want this, but I'm not willing to pay the price. Uh, I want that, and I'm not willing to pay the price. Uh, in our own lives, we started reaching out. And getting some things on credit. Uh-huh. We got to looking around and saying, you know, there's no reason my kids have got to live the same kind of sacrificial life I had to live. And so we start reaching out for some things that we haven't paid for yet. I'm not talking about engaging in outright sin. But I'm telling you, we just kind of easing our way out into things. Jesus didn't pay for this, but I'm going to try it out anyway. We start reaching out as families. You, you're going to have to put on this. I, I'm not even going to start down the long list of things that we could do. But I'm telling you, we, 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 start, we start feeling a little sorry for our kids because they don't have everything that somebody down the street has. And so we start reaching out and reaching out. And, oh, I want my kids to keep up with everybody else and... I don't want them to feel like they're different and we start changing things and and and, and before we know it we got a credit line stretching out and the church has a credit line stretching out and, and everything looks good on the surface. Uh, we still gather our family up and go to church. Uh, we still, oh yeah, even if we have to because we put so much entertainment in our kids. Uh, we have to rattle toys at them on the pew all night long. And have to bring little, little game boys so they can hide down behind the pew and play. Otherwise they'll disturb everybody. And, uh, uh, but we've got to keep the facade up. And, and there are churches everywhere that uh, uh, they, they, they look good. they got the number going still. And looks like the operation's running smoothly. But it's all on the credit. It's all on the credit. Sitting in my church. 
you, you, you'd think you wouldn't have to make an announcement like this in an apostolic church. But I, I had to get up and say, you adults. Now, I've, I've been dealing with the kids about all this cell phone business. But I'll tell you why. They got the problem. I've discovered that some of you adults sit there and text each other right down the pew all night long. Just, just going. Churches going around, along. Sinners in the pew. People needing salvation. Eternity hanging in the balance. Oh, it still looks good. We can sing good. It kind of gets going and somebody's going to get out in the aisle and dance a jig. Somebody will run around the church. Oh, it still looks like apostolic church. But I've been in too many places where it all looked good. But in the altar service while somebody wept before the Lord in repentance. There were folks checking their watch and easing out the back door and others sitting on the pew visiting and on and on. You know why? We're living on the credit. We still got a semblance of being right, but we're living on the credit. We're out here hanging over nothing. And here comes trouble, friend, because I'm telling you, we live in the time that the creditor's about to knock on the door. The creditor's knocking on the door. And I'm telling you, he doesn't care. If you can't pay it, he'll take your children. He'll take them from you. He rears his head up and laughs in your face and says, Oh, you just thought you had this revival, but I've come to claim uh, the payment that you never paid. I came uh, to get you to pay this bill. You're not having revival unless you can pay this off. You've been living on the credit. And we look around and the old prayer warrior's gone. We look around and oh, brother so-and-so, they used to when things got tight, he'd get on his face and travail he'd be at the church early but he's gone there ain't nobody to pay the bill so we scramble around where where's sister so-and-so that I always kind of winced and cringed a little bit because in every service when it come testimony time she'd get up and say give out a squeal jerk her head around a little bit talk about how good the Lord had been right before she started spinning around oh yeah I was always a little embarrassed but man I do know she could pray down some revival where she, oh she's gone we don't have anybody to pay the credit we don't have anybody that'll pay the price. So what are we gonna do? And the creditor just grins. Oh, it's all right. I'll just take your children. I'll just take the next generation. They won't even know what hit them. They'll never know what it's like to see miracles. They'll never know what it's like to feel a real revival sweep through the church. They won't ever know. And one of these days they'll be lost because you mortgaged your future away. And you didn't have what it took to pay the price. The creditor has come. And I'll tell you, we're playing right into his hands. I'm not preaching about the, 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 the group that betrayed him and sold out. I'm not preaching about those that, that are running rampant in outright sin 
false doctrine worldliness I'm talking about the apostolic church I'm talking about a church that still preaches truth I'm talking about us oh yeah we still have the form of godliness oh yeah we still have the shell in place but I wonder if the creditor comes knocking is our bill full empty do we have do we still have the ability to pay it off or have we looked around and reached for and longed for some things we didn't need the old prophet Elisha when Naaman was healed of his leprosy Naaman tried to pay for it and the prophet said oh no we don't need any of that around here no well Gehazi I'm going to tell you, Gehazi, was in a, an, he was in an enviable position if you wanted to be somebody for God. I mean, you look at the succession. Elijah selected Elisha to follow him. And Elisha served him and poured water on his hands and did all the things. But when it came time for Elijah to go away, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And you know what? He got it when he picked up that mantle and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? God said, here I am. He rolled the waters back. I'm telling you, God honored it. When you look at a man named Gehazi, same place, serving the prophet, pouring water on the hands of the prophet. A man with a double portion of the prophet Elijah. And I'm telling you, my God was not strained or tapped out. His resources were not drained by pouring out a double portion on Elisha. If Gehazi had his heart right and said, all I want is a double portion of that spirit Elisha. I'm telling you, my God could have made Gehazi the greatest prophet that Israel had ever known. But right in that position, he said, no, I think I'm going after Naaman. And so he followed Naaman, caught up with him, told him a lie, gathered him up a little money and some garments, headed back and hid it. And the prophet came in to talk to him. Where you been? Oh, nowhere, nowhere, no, no. It's all good. No, because I went with you. I know what you did. I know what you gathered up. I know the lie that you told. And he said, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from the chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money? To receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants. You know, he didn't get any of that. He just got the money. Just got some garments. But Elisha knew what was on his mind. Because as Gehazi walked along, it was not just a little money he was after, but he was dreaming. Not one time did Elisha call out something that was sinful. He, he didn't say you were going after an idol. He didn't say you wanted a little bail for your living room. He didn't say you wanted the price of a pleasure of sin for a season. No. He said, I know what you had on your mind. You had, you had, you had vineyards on your mind. 
You had herds on your mind. You had living like everybody else on your mind. You had gathering up this world's goods on your mind. But is it a time for such a thing? I'm telling you, when we have a chance to influence a pagan nation, when God sent a miracle, when I stood there, I'm telling you, I don't know what all happened, but I know Elisha preached to him long enough that when Naaman left, he said, just give me two mule loads of dirt. I'm going home and build an altar. And oh, even if I have to, if my duties take me into a pagan temple, you let God know I'm not going in to worship that idol. I'm going to be a worshiper of the one true God. Telling you in the time of Elisha There were many lepers But none were cleansed save Naaman But while the miracle was going on While the destiny of a nation was being affected While the future of Israel was being affected Gehazi had his mind on vineyards He had his mind on oxen And the prophet said Is this a time to be thinking of those things? You hear me I'm telling you that destiny of a nation hangs in the balance. The destiny of your loved ones hang in the balance. The souls of your friends hang in the balance. Is it a time to be thinking about playthings? Is it a time to be dreaming about what I can accumulate down here? Is it a time to be trying to figure out how we can get the biggest choir swaying in their white robes. Is it a time to figure out how we can become the most popular people on the block? Is it a time? Is it a time to be thinking about image and earthly future? Oh no, friend, it's revival time, and there ain't room for anything else. It's time to pay the price for revival. It's time to see the miracles. It's time to pray until God brings it back. Back to where it once was. Creditor going to and fro and he's knocking on doors. And all across this land, he's knocking on the doors of churches. And they don't have any means of paying the bill. And he's taking their children. You hear me? He's taking their children. I look around in horror as I see the way children are living today. I look around. I brought this up this morning because it's been burning on my heart. But I'm going to bring it up again. I'm telling you, Brother Enzi said, I don't know exactly the study or how it was happened, but he said that across Pentecost, we are losing 80% of our young people. We are losing 80% of our children. And I'll tell you why it's going on when the creditor comes to knock and we don't have anybody to pay the bill. He says, that's all right. I'll just take the children. I'll take the children and they'll be my slaves. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, it stirs me up. I don't know if you'd cooperate with me, young people, but everybody from, I don't know what age you'd feel brave enough to do it, seven or eight years old up to still unmarried young people, if you'd just come stand up here a few minutes for me. 
all the youth in this church. Children, if you will. If you're a little embarrassed, that's okay. I want to I tell you on one hand, we look at the future of the church. On one hand, I look at a glorious church. I look around and I say, oh, what a great church this is going to be. I mean, there's as many young people up here as there are adults sitting in the pew. Oh, it's going to be a great church. But I'm going to tell you, church, that the enemy is coming after us. The enemy is doing his best to work us over. He's been tempting and we've been reaching out on the credit. Oh, we've been letting things slide for a little while. It's been a long time maybe since we made a payment. And he comes knocking on the door. And he said, okay, here's the bill. The bill's due. Looks like I need about 10 hours of intercessory prayer this week. Looks like I need about 15 days of fasting. If there's enough people can push the plate back. Looks like there's a bill due on what you've been riding high on is there anybody here to pay the bill but ain't nobody got the ability to get in the spirit anymore nobody's got what it takes to let God wake them up in the middle of the night and pray all night long and we just shake our head at the creditor and he said that's all right. I'll just take your kids I'll take 8 out of 10 of them right now I'll take them And so here we are. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, from here over, which eight of you want to die and go to hell? Okay, which eight of you want to miss heaven? Which eight of you, we can only take two because the bill says you owe us eight right now. What about right here? What about all we need? Is eight. I'll leave two of you behind to comfort those parents that are left behind. I just want eight of you. I'm going to use you and abuse you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waste your life with sin. That's the price. Uh, that's the price because your mom and dad were thinking a whole lot more about what they wanted to do on Wednesday night than go to church. Oh, they, they, they had a whole lot more fun in mind than a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And now I've come to collect the bill and they can't pay it. But I'll take you. I'll smear you down through the gutter. I'll drag your life through the pits of sin before you're cast into the lake of fire. All because nobody's willing to pay the bill. Creditors come. Creditors come. Creditors come knocking on the door. Just stay up here, young people. I'm closing. But here he is, and he's reaching out. Oh, yeah, you look like, uh-huh, you'll fit part of that bill. Come on, I'll just take you on down with me. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, you, you, you just, you're going you're gonna to split hell wide open all because uh, a church lost its anointing. Uh, a church didn't have what it took. Uh, and I, you stay right here, I got to go get some more. Uh, my bill ain't nearly paid. Uh, but, oh, uh, right in the middle of it, wow, uh, the creditor was doing his nastiest uh, while he was doing his most. The old prophet said, I want to know what you need from me. She said, you know what I need. I need help. I know I owe the bill. But I've come to my senses. I don't want to lose my children. 
He said, well, tell me, what do you have in the house? I don't have anything. I don't, we've wasted it all. I don't have any. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Over there in the corner, I got a little bit of oil left. That's all I got. A little bit of oil. I want to tell you, thank God the prophet was able to say that's enough. Go get you some vessels together. You may not have a lot of it, but you still held on to a little bit of that anointing. You still held on to a little bit of that Holy Ghost oil. And now it's time to multiply it because the only thing that can pay the price for revival is the power of the Holy Ghost. Stir up that gift that is within you. We got a bill to pay. Oh, God. Some of you parents... I'm telling you, if you could see the enemy as he's reaching his old sinful evil hands for an innocent victim about to take them away, some of you need to reach down in and stir up that little bit of anointing and say, oh no, God, you got to multiply it. We got to have revival. Because the creditor is knocking on the door. He's out there. He's got a bill in his hand. And he's after the next generation. He's after your children. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what she did. She left that door shut. I'm not opening it right now. I got to pray down an anointing. We got to get some oil flowing. I look here, I look at faces that are sober. These children, tears running down some of their faces. Oh, I, I'm not here to scare them, but I'm here to wake some of us up before the last drop of oil is gone out of our lamps. While we still got a little bit of the anointing left. Oh, gather up some vessels. We got to have revival. Gather up some vessels. It's time to get that Holy Ghost flowing. Mamas and daddies, you better learn how to pray. You better learn how to travail. They're not going to heaven on the credit. Your old grandmother didn't put out enough of a down payment to get them to heaven. Somebody's got to pay the bill right now. Oh, God. I don't know if you're stirred, but I'm telling you. Uh, there ought to be some mama on her face or on her feet coming and grabbing her babies and saying, oh, no, devil, you'll not ever take them. I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price. I don't care if I work 10 hours a day. I'm not going to sleep until I prayed for my babies. I'm not going to sleep till I've touched heaven's throne. I'm not going to sit down in church and let my babies go through a dead, dry service. Oh, no, if it's bound up, I'll pay the price. I'll get out of that pew and I'll walk till it breaks loose. I'll do something. Oh, Jesus. 
You ain't got to wait on me. You need to do what the Holy Ghost is telling you to do. Somebody needs to hear the knock of the creditor. Somebody needs to hear the echoes through an empty house. I've come to take your babies. I've come to take the future of this church. Oh, some anointing needs to rise up. Oh, no, you won't, devil. There's a miracle because I still got a little oil. And my God's able. My God's able. My God's able. You're not taking the future of this church. You're not taking my children. Oh, my God is going to help me. Oh, Jesus. Come on, church. Stir up that gift within you right now. Stir up that anointing within you. You daddies need to grab hold of your sons. Oh, yes, you mamas need to grab hold of your sons and daughters. Oh, you need to weep between the parts of the altar. Oh, you need to call on the Lord. I'm telling you, the creditor's already taken too many. He's already brought down churches. He's already snatched young people out of our hands. But no longer, creditor. I'm ready to pay the bill. I'm ready to get on my face and pay the bill. Oh, Jesus. Come on, we need to turn this place into a prayer meeting right now. Somebody needs to get up from where you are and find somewhere to pray. Some of these children gathered here have nobody to pray for them in this church. They don't have a praying mom and daddy maybe. I don't know. I wonder if there's anybody in the church cares enough to pray for this group. Innocent children that just want to get closer to God. Oh, come on. Some of you prayer warriors. Oh, that old burden needs to wake up in you. Uh, you know what it's like. You know where you came from. Uh, you know what it took to get there. You need to teach these young people to pray. You need to teach them to pray. We don't need more programs. We don't need fancy things. It's prayer and fasting and anointed preaching. God, let the oil flow. God, let the oil flow to the creditors paid. Let the Holy Ghost move till revival is born. Oh, yes, come on, come on, come on. Come on, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Thank God for these children that are praying. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, young people, pray, pray, pray. God's on your side. God's on your side. God could have looked at that woman and said, no, you, you made the debt, you got to pay it. But no, he didn't. He looked at precious children and said, I'll move heaven and earth. I love the children. I love this next generation. I'll perform the miracle. God in your name. Oh, Jesus. Ooh, God, hear our cry, Lord. 
Here I cry, Lord, the creditor knocks. But oh, stir up that anointing within us, God. Stir it up, Lord. Oh, Jesus. God, in your name, Jesus. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, parents. You're still here because somewhere back down the line you had an old mother and daddy or a grandmother and grandfather. They knew how to pay the debt. They knew how to get the creditor away. And you're here. And your children are counting on the same thing. But mama's gone. Her prayers won't do it now. You gotta pray it. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Pray. Any of you local preachers, if you're not praying with your children, why don't you pray with some of these other children? Lay hands on them. We need to pray the anointing and protection of the Lord. God, preserve the next generation. Oh, come on. Pray, 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 pray. God, in your name, Jesus. In your name, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, have mercy, Lord. Have your way, Lord. God, let that oil flow. God, let that oil flow. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, come on. You never intended to run up a bill. You never intended for the creditor to have an advantage. But I'm telling you, it doesn't take much these days. He's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door. But Holy Ghost, protection. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 